outside? Should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Ask Alan, the podcast. Uh, I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and uh, I have a, uh, a great uh, gift, uh, guest with me today, Don Farrell, who is the Chief Cultivating Officer at a company called Fresh Revenue, where they make their clients money. Don, good to have you on the program. Alan, so glad to be here. Well, uh, as I told you offline, uh, I love the title, Chief Cultivating Officer. Tell us about uh, it, how you came up with that uh, title, and how it uh, relates and fits in with your overall mission as a company. Well, this is my second training company that I've started. The first one I started in 1986 in the spare bedroom of the house, Alan. Yep. And it went on to become the largest training company in the world. We had 300 associates. We had licensees in 44 countries. We had well over 10,000 clients. And we were rocking and rolling. And in 2007, you'd have thought I had a crystal ball, which of course I don't. And I saw the world changing. I didn't see what was coming in 2008, but I saw it changing. So I decided to sell this big company to my partner and start a new one. Well, the new one was called Entrepreneur with a Y-O-U-R at the end. Uh. My passion was to show managers, line staff, folks that weren't owners, how to think and act like an owner. Okay. And I outsmarted myself, Alan, because they would introduce me at speaking events and they'd say, and here's Don Farrell from Entrepreneur. Entrepre they didn't realize you pronounce it the same way as entrepreneur, right? So that lasted about six painful months. And I said, I better come up with something else. I'm standing in the middle of the airport in Atlanta and I'm trying to think of a name, trying to think of a name. We're all about revenues, generating revenues for our clients. What could I do? And I see a Cinnabon sign of all things. And it said, fresh Cinnabon. And I said, fresh revenues. So that's where the name came from. And in essence, and the, and the short elevator speech is we make our clients money. How? One of several ways. One, through consulting work. Two, through speaking events. Uh, for example, I'm on a plane on Monday to speak to 6,000 conventioneers and then spend the next two days in six different breakout sessions talking about the stuff that we do for a living, right? And the third thing is training and training on four disciplines, Alan. It's, it's revenue generation, which is sales, of course. It's service. Do you wanna be best in class? Do you wanna be world-class? We can get you there. Uh, it's leadership and it's culture, all right? So those four th things that we really tackle tactically and practically, I would like to say. So the stuff we teach, the stuff we, we tell them can be enacted on that day, the next day, and they're making more money as a result of it. So that's kind of the quick and dirty of us. Um, I'll just say one more thing and I'll come up for air. There's a lot of training companies out there, a lot of training initiatives. And I'll be the first one to tell you that having been involved with it now since at least 1986, the vast majority of training fails. And it fails for two big reasons, Alan. Number one, the facilitator, whoever that is, fails to get the hearts of the individuals that are making 10, 12, $15 an hour. These are customer facing people. This is, the, this is the picture, this is the face of your company and they're not trained to the degree that they need to be. And when we try to do that, 
the facilitator usually tries to tackle their brains so that they say the right things. And what they really need to impact is their heart first, their head, and then the right stuff comes out. So how do you reach this? And I'll be honest with you, that's relatively easy. The harder part for our clients is to be able to reinforce the training. What does that mean? That means the day after the training event, everyone's walking around going, hey, that was great. We're going to do so many good things. And you know what happens. Not much, right? And like three months, six months later, it's like they never did the training. In fact, it's probably worse they did the training because they remember it and nothing happened, right? So we came up with a reinforcement program about 20 years ago that we've enacted ever since to keep things measured, accountable, tied to an incentive, tracked, coached. So if they lose people, we can get them up to speed a lot faster than they can on their own. So that's kind of the point of difference that we've been able to create with, uh, with fresh revenues. And it's fun. So. Well, how um, you mentioned culture and, and uh, a lot of what you just talked about um, really speaks to culture of, of, a, of a business. How, how do you, um, well, first of all, do you agree that culture may be the most important element of a, of a business? I'll say it even more fervently. It is absolutely the most important thing. Everything else will flow from that. Your revenues, uh, the turnover rate on your, your people, the service levels, and the amount of money you're going to make bottom line all starts with culture. So yes, absolutely most important thing. If, uh, if you were talking to an entrepreneur or uh, maybe somebody who's um, owned a business for a long time, I guess they're both entrepreneurs, but I mean, a beginning yeah. entrepreneur or someone who decides, oh, I need, I need to look at my culture. How should they, how should they start to a define it and and b work on it? Yeah, good question, Alan. So the first thing we do is we get inside the heads and the hearts of these entrepreneurs, these stakeholders, these leaders. What do you want it to be? And then where do you think it is today? And then we actually go out in the field and we find out where it is. <laughs> and there's usually a disconnect between all three, right? Uh, what they want uh, isn't necessarily what they have. And what they have probably isn't even as good as it really is. When you really get out there and you start to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and they're not afraid to talk to us because we're non-threatening, right? So um, start there. So what's the reality trip, Alan? Where are we truly? And if this is indeed where you want to be, we've got to construct a blueprint that says, here's how you get there. Knowing full well, you're not going to get there in 24 hours. It's going to take some time. But there's a roadmap you can follow to be able to develop the right culture. And it's things like being totally transparent. It's, it's things like uh, being truthful and honest. And here's just a dumb example, but it happens all the time. So let's just take a corporation, a medium-sized corporation, and they've got six or seven department heads, right? Uh, the C-suite folks. And uh, the leader says, okay, let's have a staff meeting on Wednesday. Let's start it at 10 a.m. Well, at 10, 12, 10, 15, he or she waltzes in, right? Well, believe it or not, that little stuff just stays in the back of the head of all the employees that says, look, he said 10, it's 10, 12. And sometimes they're not even conscious of it, but in the back of their brain, they're saying, where else is he or she lying to me, fibbing to me, right? So you got to start with simple things like that. When you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. Now, you and I both have called meetings that we've been late to. And when we're, our, when we're late, we call them and we tell them in advance, look, I'm running a couple of minutes late. I just wanted to let you know. That's as simple as that sometimes, right? But these are simple baby steps where you have to start. 
And then it's not something that's just driven from the top. It, it's got to be driven by all the leaders. It's got to be driven by everybody, right? And it's the most fun thing you can do because think about it, Alan. Someday you and I are going to retire. Everybody's going to retire. And we're going to sit on the front porch of our, of our house. And we're going to have our grandkids with us. And I promise you, we're not going to talk about bottom line or EBITDA or any of that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about the things that impacted our culture, the things that impacted the people that worked with us and for us, and the things that they were able to do with their life as a result of it. That's the fun stuff. That's the stuff we want to talk about. And at the end of the day, that's what makes us feel good, you know? Right. Now, uh, as you know, I, I, I practice employment law, and I represent a lot of entrepreneurs and executives and professionals and that sort of those sort of folks. And I was given a speech uh, yesterday to the uh, a local SHRM chapter, which is the Society of Human Resource Managers, for right. those who may not know. And, and I, I made a similar comment. I want to tie those two things together, hear what you think about it. Sure. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if your goal is not to fire anybody, in other words, you want to hire somebody and keep them for a long time and have them meet or exceed all of your expectations. One of the things that you need is a mission for your company. And that mission needs to be in aligned with your culture. And when you said people get trained and then forget, forget the training, isn't, do you think that's because their culture is not aligned with their mission? Yeah, the that the training is somewhat in Congress to their culture. Yeah, too many times, Alan, they're checking a box. They got trained, right? Done with that. Well, you're never done with that, right? So there's kind of the disconnect. And I go back to your mission, vision, values comment. Um, I won't tell you where, but here in Memphis, an icon of a business, I'm sitting there in the lobby with, with a client and we were talking about mission, vision, values. And I said, I'll bet you five bucks that the cocktail waitress that comes up to us right now doesn't know the mission statement. And he says, are you kidding me? This is an icon of a business. They're absolutely going to know. Five bucks, you're on. Well, she showed up and my first question was, how long have you worked here? And she said, three years. And that's pretty good, right, Alan? And I'm yeah. like, all right, if anybody knows, it's going to be her. And I made it real easy for her. I said, look, do you know your mission statement? I don't care if you get words wrong, but just kind of the gist of it all. And it's few words as you want to say. Well, she hemmed and hawed and she didn't really know. But to her credit, you know what she did? She went about 10 minutes later, she shows up with this raggedy old card <laughs> that had their mission statement on it. And she said, here it is. I had to borrow it from another employee. Okay. So sometimes we go through the motions and we kid ourselves into thinking that what we think they're adhering to in terms of a mission, vision, value is actually working. And it's not. We got to take reality trips, man. We really have to take some reality trips and find out where it's at. One of the things we love to do, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term mystery shopping. We've employed uh, blind people. There's 72% unemployment rate with blind people in America. And my understanding is what they do all day long because they're unemployed is they get master's degrees and doctor's degrees, especially master's degrees. These are smart people who are dying to get a job, who are committed to it once they get it. So these people make shop calls for us. They pretend to be the consumer. They call up, they try to buy their product or service, and they record those calls for us. And we listen to them and we listen to the skill sets that are being used because there's always good news. And then the skill sets that are not being used that are, that are preventing them from being at an 80% conversion rate. And today they're at a 30. 
And when you start doing the math, Alan, 30%, three out of 10 people are saying, yeah, I'll buy your product or service versus eight. That's a lot of money. And that's where we like to start is that is that is the low lying fruit. Okay. And there's a definite disconnect between mission and the actual culture and the actual execution of what's being done. Yeah. It's something that you've just, as a CEO, uh, if there are any CEOs listening, it, it really has to be something that's that's second nature to you and something that you that you bring up in, in, in conversations with folks and you want your folks to bring up. What's yeah. our mission? Why are we all coming here? Exactly. Um, and, and if you have a, a, a business that is just transactional, you're just selling things, selling services, and you don't have a mission to go behind it, you're going to get transactional employees. And you're going to be selling a commodity, right? And the That's point right. is who? Your people and look what you're doing. So absolutely. Half of this makes me delighted because I'm going to get filthy stinking rich, Alan, fixing this stuff for people, right? But the other yeah. half is I'm a consumer too. And I'm getting crappy service all the time, right? And it's because of stuff like this. That's right. And um, so, uh, so okay, what, what advice uh, would, uh, would you, again, would you give the, my, my hypothetical CEO uh, that you've identified the culture and you've identified what you, what you want um, other than picking up the phone and calling you, uh, and, and that's that's part of it. Is yeah. what else should uh, they be looking at to uh, advance that ball? Well, talk to your clients, talk to your customers, and find out their impression of your business. That's a variable that uh, we can't mess up, obviously. So get that input, whether it's focus groups or you're picking up the phone or you're sitting down in front of them. Just be brutally honest with me. Uh, and a lot of times they won't because they know they're the owner. They don't want to hurt their feelings. You've got to pry and you got to get the truth, right? So certainly get that consumer perspective. In terms of fixing it, sit down with all your, your generals and your lieutenants and you say, we have a disconnect. And I need your input. I need your help in fixing this. I can't do it by myself, but this is my vision. Do you guys share that vision? Make it even better, you know? So just be brutally honest, be, be brutally truthful, be transparent, and, and, and then you take it to the folks who actually engage and make this stuff happen, right? Uh, and, and it's a never-ending process. You never stop. And what's the old MBWA? It's been around forever, right, Alan? Management mm -hmm. by walking around. When you walk right. around, you just said and said, hey, did you guys have your meeting on the culture stuff we were talking about? You did, what'd you think of the meeting? Eh, it was okay. Really, where'd we go wrong? What could we do better? I mean, look for that honest input and, and reward those people for talking to you like that. Um, we teach something that's a formula that's very simple. And whoever's listening, I hope, this, this is my prayer, this is my hope that they'll actually do this, ready? The formula is V equals D over E. And V stands for value. So this is a value formula. It's how we as consumers place value on something, right? So it's D over E. E is the expectation, all right? D is the actual delivery. And when you start to put math to it, it goes something like this. Before I ever called up that business, I had a certain expectation in mind. A friend of mine told me it was a cool place. I looked online, it kind of looked professional on a scale of zero to 10 with five being average, I'm hoping, praying I get a six or a seven, all right? Now, what's funny, Alan, is if you ask owners, what is the expectation of that consumer? They're saying, oh, it's a 10. They're expecting a 10, 
Well, I'm here to tell you they're not because they've been conditioned not to expect a 10. And that's kind of good because now you can impact that, right? So if I'm expecting a six or a seven, somewhere in between there, now here comes the delivery part. I call up, I talk to somebody, I walk into a business and in a New York second, I'm determining my impression, my feelings of that business. Are they indeed a six or a seven or are they worse or better than? Now, when I'm doing this in training classes and speaking events, I'm like, so let's, uh, hey, Charlie, front row, Charlie, uh, you tuned me in, you turned me on, you were awesome, man, I loved you. You are a, and Charlie yells out, I'm a 10. And I say, you're never a 10, Charlie. And the whole place laughs, right? At best, you're a nine. Why, Charlie? Because I can be better. Exactly. We can always be better. So we're shooting for a 10. We're probably going to fall short, but let's shoot for that. So let's get that nine, right? And you want every single associate working for you. Seeing you walk down the hallway, Alan, you're the boss. And I say, hey, boss, come here. Yeah, what's up? Hey, look, you see that thing over there? Yeah. It's a six. And you're like, whoa, what do we have to do to be a nine or a 10? And they give you their opinion. Some of it's bogus, but some of it has real germs of truth and honesty to it. And you're like, you've got something there. And you're rewarding these people and you're congratulating them. And they're part of the decision-making process. They have authorship. Their voice matters. What do you think that does for your culture? You know, So you want to build a culture, that's just one big thing. Can I give you one more big thing? Give me. So I ask people all the time, do you truly love your people that work for you? And unless they work for a chemical company, because I did this recently at a chemical plant, and the answer of the chemical plant was, um, I have six direct reports and I love four and a half of them. <laughs> Most people, of course, raise their hand and said, I love my people. All right, if you truly love your people, if you truly care about your people, if you truly want them to stay as long as possible, then you're gonna care enough. You're gonna care more, you're gonna do more, and you're gonna communicate more. What could that look like? What if at the end of every single month, people that are your direct reports, you have five people reporting to you, and at the end of every month, you sit down for 20 minutes in an informal setting. In fact, you sit on the opposite side of your desk. You're sitting down drinking coffee. You're at Starbucks. Make them comfortable to talk to you. And the first thing you're going to say is, hey, Joe, there's something I need you to work on. What? Um, you get too defensive with our customer. I do not. Joe, you're doing it now. You don't even know you're doing it. And the difference, Alan, between communicating and training comes down to skills practice, role play. People hate to role play, Alan, but let me tell you something. That's where they learn. When I get evaluations of my training, it says the worst part of your training was having to role play. The best part of your training was having to role play, right? So have them skills practice your concern. And you say, okay, I'm going to be watching you, man. You got to work on that defensive part. And the person gets up to leave. Joe gets ready to leave. And you say, Joe, sit down. I'm not done. The most important part of the meeting is right now. This is the first time you're doing this with Joe. And you say, Joe, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it doesn't matter how old Joe is. What do you want to be when you grow up? And you may have 50% of your people not know, and they're embarrassed they don't know. I don't want to make you embarrassed. And I don't, want, I don't want to decide for you. And I don't want you to decide right here and now. But you're going to decide someday that you want to be somebody. You want to do something. And let's just assume for a second Joe knows what he or she wants to be, right? We help them get there. 
we help them see the skills they're learning in their current job will help them be a fireman because that's who they want to be, not who we want them to be, who they want to be. They don't see that connection. They sometimes see this as a job that's close to my house where I'm making enough money for now until I can find a better job. And that's why we have turnover. That's why we have crappy, crappy culture, Alan, because people who are in leadership positions don't care enough, don't do enough, and don't communicate enough when it comes to their personal goals of their people. And what's interesting is once in a great while, I'll have somebody stand up in the back of the room and say, let me get this straight. So you're helping them become a fireman because that's what they want to be. Yeah. Well, that's just going to add to my turnover. I don't want that. You basically say, well, let's put it this way. Do you want them dumb, fat, and stupid and stay with you for three years or be the person they want to be and get better along the way and they leave you in two? Which would you rather have? And I promise you, Alan, if people start getting their dreams, the word's going to get out. The culture is going to find out in the neighborhood. People are going to want to work for you, okay? Friends of the people that currently work for you are going to call you up and say, do you have an opening? The next time you have an opening, I want to work for you because I hear you guys care more, okay? That's the kind of stuff that impacts the culture. That's all great stuff. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I uh, you mentioned New York, uh, that you do it in New York second. And it uh, reminds me, one of my... My favorite politicians, although I, I, I seldom agreed with him on policy, but I think he's the most courageous politician uh, that I've known in my lifetime, and that's the former mayor of New York, Ed Koch. Yeah. Because what would Ed, what would, what would Mayor Koch do? Mayor Koch, his catchphrase, he would walk the streets of New York and he would say, how am I doing? That was what, that was his catchphrase. And people would tell him how oh, he was yeah. It's New York, they'll tell you, yeah. And, and you know, as, as someone who spent some time in a mayor's office, I know how uh, I know how pointed those conversations can be. And to invite them, I, I think it was very courageous, but it it did it, it did a couple of things. One is it showed him he wanted the input. And the other was that um, he could then do something with that information. Right. And I think, uh, you know, as CEOs. Uh, we should uh, we should get into that Mayor Koch habit of asking our folks, well, how am I doing? How am I doing? And and not blow up at people when they tell you the truth. And just the sheer fact that he asked their opinion. Yes. A long way, you know, whether he agreed with them or not, they asked his opinion. I'll never forget the day I got an assignment from a client. This is going way back now. And we visited a hundred of their franchised locations. And at the end of the conversation, I'm asking owners, if you were to build or buy another one of these franchises, who would you buy it from? And they almost all said, this guy's competitor. And I said, really, why? He said, because this current franchise doesn't even ask me my opinion. The other franchise does. Now, they don't enact on it, but at least they ask my opinion. <laughs> it was that simple. You know, Alan? Isn't it crazy? It, it is crazy. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, again, I think it all uh, goes back to mission. If you've got a mission and you communicate it, uh, that filters out folks that don't want to do that. Right. You know, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to provide great plumbing to, uh, to, to folks at a value price. Uh, but the people who do, the people who are passionate about it, the fact that you, that you know the answer to the question, what does it take to be successful here, uh, will go a long way. Yeah, you just remind me of something else. 
So in the interviewing process, you're talking about culture. You're asking them, and they may not even understand what culture is, all right? Uh, they're, they're not even, they're, they're, I don't know, high school senior, they're a freshman in college, whatever it is, they're younger. They don't truly understand what the culture is or what it means, but you get into the analysis of it all. Where would you love to work? What would drive you crazy at a job? And you just may find out that these are fun people that just aren't right for that job, you know? So ask those culture kinds of questions on the interview before you make a mistake. Yeah, I, I think people, um, people uh, uh, often uh, interview uh, to filter in people as opposed to filter out people. There you go. And I, I think it, it, they're both important. You want to get the people that you want, but you, you also want to not hire the people that you don't want. And, right. um, you know, if, you, if you're a hardworking uh, firm um, that, you know, values staying after six o'clock and burning the midnight oil, that's part of what we do here is, you know, we, we, we deliver for our, for our customers. And uh, someone says, well, I, you know, I got it. It's a non-negotiable. I got to be home at six then one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to pick up at 5.55 and leave, or they're going to stay and hate you for it. That's right. And, and so you, you need to let people know, here are the reasons not to work here. Or and, maybe instead of coming in at 8 o'clock in the morning, they come in at 6.30 or 7. So they can get the work done. So you're willing to work with them, as long as they understand how hard sure. they have to work, you know? I just use that as an, as, as an example. Yeah. But, the, yeah. but, you know, there probably are... Um, you know, other things that if you think about your culture, um, you know, maybe maybe you've got a, a cutesy employee recognition uh, system that everybody loves. Well, if somebody's turned off by it, that may be an indication they're going to be turned off by other parts of your culture, that sort of exactly thing. Exactly right. You learn, you learn some incredible things when you ask a potential employee, what, what did you dislike about your previous job? What did you love about your, you're going to find out things. Is this the right person for my culture? And that's the first question, Alan. Do they fit my culture? I can teach them how to use Microsoft and computer stuff, but are, do they really have the kind of culture that I'm looking for? Because that's the stuff that's hard to teach, right? Yes. Uh, it's almost impossible to teach depending exactly. on, exactly. Um, you know, uh, on, uh, you know, if, if someone is like in my business, my profession, uh, attention to detail is even more important than it is any, any place else. Right on. And, um, and so if you've got somebody who maybe checks out a lot of other boxes, but you know, their favorite sport is horseshoes, uh, <laughs> it's close enough. Um, then, you know, they don't need to work here. Right. Um, and, yeah. uh, you, know. you guys make a mistake. It's going to cost somebody a lot of money. You know, you can't, you can't make those mistakes. That's right. Well, Don, I, I see our, our time is up. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Anything else you'd like to, to tell our listeners before we, uh, we end this great podcast? Uh, let's talk about Memphis for a second. Do you mind? I would love to talk about Memphis. All right. I've uh, lived in, as you can see, New York is one of them up there. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn and I've lived in 15, 16 cities. And I've been here in Memphis since 86 this is a cool town. This is, a, this is a town that you can manage. You can make things happen from a business perspective. Uh, you go to some cities and you're eating up, right? Especially New York and Chicago and LA. You can make things happen in this town. This is a good town. I live downtown and, and we're, we've had a bad reputation lately. Um, but I'll tell you what, the city has so much going for it. Uh, I go to a church where uh, outreach is, is a huge factor. St. Patrick Church right across from FedEx Forum. I mean, we're feeding people. 
people that go to our church are low income, no income. And the community at that church embraces those folks. It's a true melting pot. And, and Memphis is good for that, man. Memphis has a lot of good people. And when it's, it's time to step up, Memphians step up. So this is a, this is a great town. So whatever that's worth to you. Well, uh, uh, St. Patrick's, uh, uh, Father Val is a good oh. friend of mine. And um, uh, he, um, he'll always remind me that uh, Dr. King's March started in the parking lot of St. Patrick's uh, Church. And um, uh, it is, and you, you know, you're absolutely right about Memphis. Memphis has its problems, just like every place else. Yeah. But I also think Memphians have a uh, have a a penchant for keeping it real. And you know, I think the big difference between us on racial issues is I think we confront them uh, yeah. a lot more directly than a lot of places do. Now that causes some problems sometimes because that's not that's not always clean to do it that way. Um, but I, I do think it makes us more transparent with one another, more honest with one another. And um, believe it or not, I think race relations are better here than they are other places because we don't, uh, we don't plaster over them. We, we, yeah. we leave them out in the open and yeah. we deal with them. I totally agree. I've had parishioners come to me saying they have concerns. And when you really look at the concern, it's not a racial concern. It was a, an us and them concern. And when you start to focus on how to how, what the real problem is and then what the solution is, man, we come together. We come together quickly. So the other thing I wanted to mention, you can cut this if you want to, is I'm on the board of the Salvation Army. John Elkington, I'm sure you know John well. Yes. The chairman of that board. And he brought me on. And the Adult Rehabilitation Center out in uh, Bartlett is phenomenal. I've been able to send some of our low-income, no-income folks who have an addiction problem to that facility. Alan, it is sensational. I see them two weeks after they've checked in. They're completely different human beings, you know, and they have such a great outlook on life. And I'll, and I'll tell you one story. So two weeks ago, a guy that I've been trying to talk into for the last two months to go into the ARC program, you admittedly have a drug problem. Uh, you can't find work. You're sleeping outside half the time. Um, so let's get you into this program. Well, before he goes in, he says to me uh, in this voice, ready? He says, Don, when I come out of that program at six months, can I have my old job back? And I said, old job, what old job? He said, you know, you used to pay me 20 bucks to clean up the garbage around the church. And I'm like, dude, when you come out of this program, you're gonna get a real job. You're gonna get your own apartment. You said you love to watch football on your own TV that's the vision you need to have. And it's like, they don't have that vision. They've lost that vision. They haven't had that vision for 20 years in some cases. So places like ARC, Salvation Army, ARC, and for women, it's uh, the Purdue Center are helping these folks get better. And they have vacancies right now, Alan. There's 30 empty beds at the ARC for men. I think it's like 20 for the women. So if you don't cut this, I hope it gets to stay. And I hope somebody says, wow, I'll check into that. Salvation Army. Okay. Well, Don, I, I enjoyed talking with you thoroughly. Uh, I applaud your commitment to uh, your company and your company's mission, but also to Memphis and helping others. Uh, it's clear that you have a passion for elevating people. Yes. And, um, you know, if more of us had a passion for elevating other people, um, the world would be so much better and we ourselves would be elevated. Uh, yes, sir. You know, it helps me as much as it helps them. You're totally yes, right. it really does. 
Yeah. All right, my friend. Thank you so Bye -bye. much. Thank, thank you, Alan. For watching. And um, uh, Don is going to go help his uh, clients make even more fresh money. And I'm going to go get some justice. There you thank go. You. Go get him, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Don. All right.